All right, Hawk fans, here we go. Uh, the long-awaited return uh, by, I think, maybe at least a couple of people, maybe my mom, maybe Brian's mom, maybe my wife, Brian's wife, that's about it, of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast on hiatus last week because Brian uh, was a jet setter. He was a world traveler uh, going to London. I think a, uh, I thought I saw you in Paris uh, last week. So welcome back to the good old USA, man, first of all. And second of all, tell us about what it was like to be out there, man, because it looked like a free a, 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 a freaking Seahawk home game at Wembley Stadium last week, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good to be back, man. It, it was it was a great trip. I mean, I, I try to make, at least for the last few years, I try to make at least one road trip a, a year with some friends. And uh, this time, took the, the big trip across the pond and uh, brought my, my oldest son along with me. And, and it was just a great experience. You know, it was a, definitely a lot of memories. And as someone who I know was in New York in 2013, because I spent time with him and uh, his lovely wife uh, in the wee hours of the morning, um, it felt a little bit like that, yeah. to be very honest. It was like, it, you know, lots of Seahawks fans all over the streets uh, leading up to the game. Felt very much like, you know, a neutral field that the Seahawks fans dominated. And um, it also, I mean, last time we talked, I can't remember, but but – I was very convinced. I had predicted the Seahawks were going to win this game by more than 20 points. Mm-hmm. I was really confident going into it, and it, it just—it was very much the same. It's the way I felt about the the, the, the Super Bowl. So um, you know, it was great, and and the Wembley was great. The people were great. Uh, met fans from all over the world, uh, Seahawks fans that is. So it was just really, it, man. You know what what Seahawks fandom was like in the 80s and 90s, and to see how far it's come, yeah. you know, from a, to a, a worldwide brand, and and truly, um, it's really amazing. It, it really is. Uh, it's pretty cool to to see how connected uh, Seahawks fans are all all over the place. Yeah, and I would love to compare the showing that Seahawk Nation, if you will, had at Wembley Stadium and in London last week to like what they get when the Jaguars come to town, for example, or what they get. I think the Chargers may be on their way to London uh, at some point. And I mean, I don't know the answer. I, I'd be curious, Brian, to kind of compare and contrast just the enthusiasm, the passion, the sheer volume of fans that show up. Now, to be fair, this was our first game out there. So if this becomes, you know, a, a, a you know, a typical thing every two or three years, maybe you won't get that kind of enthusiasm, but I'd love to compare it to those other fan bases and see how we compare yeah well the 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 natives um the locals out there were were saying that it was quite a bit different um and you know both in terms of volume in terms of how much money they were spending (laughs) you know a lot of businesses were really happy to see seahawks fans rolling in um and i heard it as far and wide as you know ireland and and you know amsterdam that people were were spreading out and going to different places and um it did. Like, that was another thing that reminded me of the Super Bowl. I mean, I remember talking to New York City cops, and they're like, "Geez, Louise, like, where are you guys coming from? You're everywhere." Uh, so yeah, it was cool. Um, I will say one of the differences, though, is that uh, man, people in London really dress well, and and uh, people in the Northwest, not quite as well. So wow. uh, you know, I was wow. I was rocking I was rocking the shorts and the you know the hoodie, and and I looked like uh, maybe I was sleeping on the street. At yeah. night. And I guess what? It. You didn't give a damn either. You could not have cared I didn't. less. Okay? <laughs> I didn't. You probably That's had the Doug Baldwin here, jersey on, if I know you, and you could not have given a crap about what people thought about your attire. But the uh, the game itself, man, I thought I thought two things really stood out to me: uh, just the continuing emergence of the uh, Seahawk rushing attack behind this new look offensive line, and I thought. 
thought Frank Clark had his best game as a Seahawk on, on Sunday against the Raiders, man. This guy's establishing himself as a, a top 10 and maybe even top five or six edge rusher in the NFL right now. How about you? Yeah, I don't know if you saw my tweet about I've been kind of keeping up on uh, within the first four years of a Seahawks pass rusher's career, the total sacks that they've had and where Frank Clark ranks on that list. Number one, first four, four years of a career for Seahawks pass rusher is Jeff Bryant with 34 sacks. Um, number two is you want to guess who's number two? Uh, Michael Sinclair. That's a good guess, uh, but it's actually Cortez Kennedy, okay. and uh, he's at 28. As of right now, Frank Clark's number three on that list, 27 yeah. and a half sacks, and, and he's not even done with his fourth season. He's got, you know, what, nine games, ten games left to go. So, um, yeah, he is, he is a rare thing in Seattle, which is a drafted pass rusher. Yeah. They don't yeah. come along very often, and he's forcing the team to, to – Pay him some serious bucks. Well, I'd pay him now because I think the longer they wait, the more that price goes up, dude. I would I would get him a contract. I know when the Hawks gave Cliff Averill his extension, I think KJ may have gotten his extension maybe later in the year, November, December, but uh, I don't see the point in waiting. I think this guy's established himself. He's, he's I think, proven that all the concerns you had about him coming out of college uh, while may have been fair concerns then, are, are no longer concerns now. I think he's grown up. I think he's matured. I think he's a professional. He's an impact player. And I think every day you wait, the price goes up. I'd, I'd lock him up ASAP if I could. I, I think that's most likely the way the Seahawks feel. The question is, you know, what's the price that will cause Frank and his agent Correct. to consider foregoing the free market? Yep. You know, that, well, if I'm him, I say, no, I'm waiting until February if I'm him for sure. <laughs> Well, you know, there is there is some price, right? Because, you know, as a player, you are he's seen what's happened with Earl and Cam and other places. You can be injured any day. And so getting guaranteed money, if it's put in front of you, yeah, you take yeah. it. The question is, what's that number? Is it $15 million a year? Is it 16 17 Is guaranteed money 40 50 60 Like, what is the, m- the number that's going to cause him to sign on the dotted line? But I think it's, it's a must-do for the Seahawks at this point. Um, he's definitely earned it. Well, and if they can't come to an agreement, he'll be franchised. There's no way this guy's walking out of here at the end of the 2018 season. But, Brian, man, this offensive line, and you know, I know you're tweeting out all the stats from PFF, and I'm a big fan of Pro Football Focus. By the way, it's funny how people now uh, will look to Pro Football Focus because they're saying good things about the Seahawks. Uh, when they're saying <laughs> bad things. Good and bad things yeah. is a funny thing. Well, but, but, but when they say bad things about the offensive line, oh, those people are idiots. They're just a bunch of pencil-pushing nerds. They got no idea what they're talking about. Now, all of a sudden, they're complimenting the Seahawks offensive line. And, oh, yeah, PFF, those guys know what they're doing. But you know what, dude? I don't even need PFF to tell me Uh that this offensive line is better. You see what I see with your own eyes. You know this group is better. Yeah, it it 100% is. And, like, they're (laughs) – Look, you know I'm a geek. You know, I, I spend time with the numbers, and I look for try, trying to find the trends and the patterns to help explain what I'm seeing with my eyes and, and, and see whether what I'm seeing is real. But, you know, there is some losing the forest through the trees there with all the numbers because, look, you know, the Seahawks are running the ball a lot. They're running a lot more than they were when they started the season the first two weeks. And I love that for a number of reasons. One, because – Softy, finally, we can just, like, put some of this to rest about run, pass, what's the right ratio, what's the, you know, what should this offense look like? Russell Wilson is playing as well as he's ever played, and he's playing that way because 
because he's fitting into this offense the way it is. We're seeing this offensive line really fit together with a run, like a run heavy mentality. They talk about balance, but in the end, it really is more of a run centric approach. And then they're doing play action and they're doing deep passes, which are huge strengths of Russell Wilson. I just think that, that the offense, you know, like number one or number two in red zone, Mm. um, we're seeing everything go up. And so uh, I'm really excited, uh, and I feel like, you know, you and I have talked about it. The question is what what the hell was going on the first two weeks, and, and why yeah. wasn't this where they started? Yeah. But looking past that, look, I feel like this team is good. Like, I didn't expect to say that at any time this year, to be totally honest, but I think they're good. Well, they're good in the sense that they can absolutely compete for a playoff spot. Uh, There's no doubt that in mid-December, the week before Christmas, the Seahawks should be in the mix at minimum, Ryan, for a playoff spot. I'm curious to see how the next maybe five, six weeks go uh, because things get a little more difficult. You're going to face Rivers. You're going to face Goff. You're going to face Rodgers. You'll face Cam Newton, and you'll face Matt Stafford. So if you can come out of this next stretch, you know, hovering at 500, maybe a game up, then I absolutely believe this team will be a playoff team when it's all said and done. And the beauty of it is that the teams that they're fighting for playoff spots for, either A, they've beaten, like the Dallas Cowboys, or B, they play like Minnesota, like Detroit, like Green Bay, like Carolina. And guess what? Some of those games, including Minnesota and Green Bay, are at home in primetime spots where the Hawks always perform very well in. So I'm with you, man. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very content where this team's at right now. Yeah, I mean, when you look up um, at some of the the – analytics rankings where you know it's not just perception but it's actually looking at the numbers and where they're strong cx are like eighth you know that's that's their top 10 in a lot of those things and that feels right to me like i i'm looking at it i'm looking at one of the things that's really great about this approach that has been pete carroll style it's what he's espoused since the beginning is it'll play anywhere when you have a running game that you're committed to and is actually productive um you know, it doesn't matter if that's home or road. They're going to run that ball. They're going to run Chris Carson. They're going to run Mike Davis. They're going to get a few yards. We're going to see less second and 15s because of sacks on first down. And you're going to put Russell Wilson in situations where he can, you know, do a lot of things, convert on third down and, and, and take advantage of the deep passes. So, yeah. you know, I just like the way it's coming together. I think there's upside with guys like David Moore. Um, oh. I'm excited to see what, what, what can come of him the last half of the year. I don't even think we've started to scratch the surface of what he can do. Well, he's catching everything thrown his way. I mean, he doesn't drop balls, which obviously is a massive problem right now for Brandon Marshall. Uh, yeah. But David Moore, to me, is your number three wide receiver. And it's not even close. I mean, it's Baldwin, it's Lockett, and it's David Moore. Yeah, well, here's, here's the thing, Dave, is, is, you know, how far up that depth chart and target chart can David Moore get by the end of the season? It, it, it is not out of the question to me that he becomes one of your top targets. Like, you know, that there could be games where he is the guy getting seven catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. Like, I think he's got that kind of upside. The question is, you know, is, is he ready to, to reach that potential? Is the, is the team ready to trust him? And is Russell willing to trust him? And I think yeah. we're seeing signs that the answer is yes to all three of those things. All right, man. Listen, great stuff. Good to catch up. We will talk about the Lions uh, next Friday. I still got some bad feelings and uh, a bad taste in my mouth for that damn stadium after what happened in 2006. It was only only 12 years ago, but uh, I'm still not over it, man. So we will talk about the Lion game next Sunday. Enjoy the week off, buddy. Enjoy the bye, hanging out with the boys, and uh, we'll talk in a week, man. 
Sounds good, Softy. You got it. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Uh, find him on Twitter, at Hawk Blogger. On the web, hawkblogger.com. Uh, everything Seahawk-related, everything you need is right there on the web, and it's always free. All right, we're going to break. Uh, we'll talk to you guys in a week on the podcast and back on the air on KJR, obviously Monday at 3 o'clock. See you, bye. Go Hawks.